This is Mission.org. Marketing is not about hitting a perfection spot. It's about optimization. There is always more that you can do to optimize. The journey is never, never, never done. The minute that you get comfortable in, well, that's the way that we've always done it, is the minute that your marketing team starts to fail. B2B marketing is changing fast. If you aren't there for your customers when they want it, where they want it, and how they want it, then they will find a company who is. Welcome back to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, and today I'm chatting with Rebecca Stone, the Senior Vice President of Customer Solutions Marketing and the Chief Marketing Officer at Cisco Meraki, an expert in how the B2B world is shifting, what it takes to keep great talent, and how to effectively work with and educate a leadership team. She shares the secrets in this episode. Before we get to this amazing interview, I did want to remind you all to please rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts. Also, Spotify has started rating podcasts as well. So if you're listening and enjoying this content, please give us a five-star rating. It really does help our show. All right, let's get into it. of marketers say that meeting customer expectations is more difficult than it was a year ago and change. How has this played out for you at Cisco Meraki? What is your team doing to tackle this seemingly rising consistent challenge of like customer expectations? It depends on how you define customer expectations, but there is prospect expectations and prospect interest that is really, really difficult right now after two years of being fully digital um, that are a struggle to deal with. And then there is the true customer, the customer who has already bought your product. How do you support them in their journey of using the product that has also increased? So um, we are, as a marketing team, mostly focused for the past, you know, 10 years on that acquisition journey. And in the last two years, as I've taken over Meraki, we have been, we started to actually build out a customer, customer experience marketing team. I'm, uh, I sit with our head of customer success on a cross-functional team that is trying to drive more interaction. I think that the demand is driven a lot by a B2C customer expectation now, like that the B2C experience is getting so custom, so highly directed at the interests of the consumer and that you can reach the uh, company that you're dealing with. Like if you think about a B2C company now, you can text them, you can email them, you can call them, you can go on the website and, and you know, chat with, with people. And so there is that expectation and even social, I d- didn't even, but you know, you can complain on social and somebody comes to, to your rescue. And that behavior is started to transition to the B2B world. They want to be able to reach you however, wherever, whenever they can. And it's hard when you have traditionally not been in that mode. Like B2B doesn't act like that. B2B has traditionally not acted like B2C. And I think that you see that everywhere in the acquisition and the retention part of, of the journey is 
how do you become more on demand and prepared to address your customer need whenever they need, whenever and however they want it? Today's B2B buyers are, they're anonymous, they're fragmented, they're resistant, right? And you, you talked about the kind of the difference between B2C and B2B and the shifts happening there. We see that in our business as well. How are you engaging with this really interesting group of B2B buyers? Yeah, definitely. And I think that that's where that cross-functional team came from. So as the executive sponsors, which used to just be our head of CX and myself, and now because there's so much need, we've actually added in our head of product as an exec sponsor too. And so we have established like four or five different workflows that we work through that are like, how do we address customer complaints that come through like our MPS surveys and things like that? And and how are we actually giving them an opportunity to give us the voice about the things that they might be upset about is, is one. How do we better inform our campaign, our marketing outreach based on product data and how our customers are using our products? That hasn't traditionally been a part of the Meraki motion, but is so huge, especially when you are a SaaS platform and you have that data to understand and help to um, be able to see things like, hey, our customers are really struggling in this part of setup. Like, can we include some sort of demo or walkthrough kind of process to allow them to do that? Can we create more uh, documentation uh, that allows them to be able to self-access that information? And so it's it's really about how you balance the needs of the customer with um, with that simplification, I guess, of the process for them. And that's what I love about that CX uh, squad is what we call ourselves is that we have really clear goals and we've made so much progress over the last probably two year, 18 months to two years of just deciding what our top priorities are, really going after that, hitting it, and then taking the, you know, whatever that is that we accomplished and then deciding on what the next thing is going to be to build on top of that. So like I said, anything from those training journeys to welcome emails to NPS uh, response rates to, uh, you know, the list goes on and on. It's just, it's been really awesome. What has become the most valuable metric for you and your team in this kind of new era? I believe that it's about the customer journey. Prior to my my leadership at Meraki, it was mostly focused on getting the names in and the MQLs. And, the, and those were the two metrics. I believe that we have to understand how our customers are working all the way through the process and not just to close one business. But then again, like that comes into what is the customer journey after the closed one business? And that our responsibility is to address every step of the program, of the process to make it as easy as anybody wants to, to be able to interact with us. It's much less about that outbound reach and more about being wherever the customer is, whenever they want you to be there so that you can react in real time to the conversation that they're ready to have in whatever way they're ready to have it, whether that's with an actual salesperson or downloading, a you know, some documentation or working with your customer success people or playing with a demo and however they come to you from whatever channel they come to you from. Earlier today, we spoke with uh, a gentleman named Rami, who is a VP over at EMI Mobile. It's interesting to hear the, you know, the shifts of just what you're describing. He talked about you know, how consumers are, they just, they want this asynchronous experience across all these channels. There's a huge opportunity there. So I love that you are bullish on that. Coming from my previous company, which was LiveRamp, which was really involved in that digital journey for 
those really big B2C companies that are best in class at, at doing this. It changed the way that I think about how we need to be in places for our customers, that I do think that there is a lot that the B2B world can learn from B2C in terms of that be anywhere at any time, because it's not about you. It's about what the customer wants. What's something wise your mentors taught you about marketing leadership? Probably that your job is never done. Marketing is is not about hitting a perfection spot. It's about optimization. There is always more that you can do to optimize. The journey is never, never, never done. And so I think the minute that you get comfortable in, well, that's the way that we've always done it, is the minute that your marketing team starts to fail. Please tell me, tell us, tell our audience about a product or a company that you think is really well marketed. It's probably cliche, but I really love the way that Tesla started to market. And they kind of, they really flipped car buying on its head and they modernized it in such a way that it just became a no-brainer. That if you think about the fact that how you interact with their website is so vastly different than how you interact with a traditional car website. The fact that their stores started off in malls rather than in uh, in a traditional car lot. I now see living in Marin, there's, there is Tesla lots now, but there are also the Tesla stores. And so I, I love how they took something that you thought was just always going to be a certain way and completely transformed it and modernized it, uh, I think would be one that's completely out of out of the way. And then I think the second one, which is going to sound dumb, but I especially over the last two years, because I've had nothing else to really get excited about is makeup. And I just Sephora is a, a nominal brand that allows you to do so many different things in so many different ways. Their website and their app and their buying has really transformed even over the last two years. And so I love Sephora too. Two great brands. That's awesome. So just curious about your path of like you, you into the marketing world. You see this, I mean, it's a, it's a huge ocean of areas and where you can go in specialists and you, you've found your way into leadership. I would say, and my, even my parents, that everybody who knew me when I, when I was a kid knew that I was going to be a leader. I, uh, I was always... I, we're not supposed to say bossy, but I was definitely a bossy kid. When I was growing up, I loved to be the one who was directing uh, the situation, whatever the situation was. And it also came really naturally to me, which I haven't, I didn't appreciate until I saw that it wasn't a, a natural thing for everybody, that I naturally have people follow me. I, it, it is, it is, it just comes innately to me what I need to do in order to build trust with people, which is a, a great leadership skill. Do you, you know, how you present yourself has always just that piece of it has come naturally to me. So I've always known when I was first getting into marketing, which I, again, I knew I wanted to be in marketing. Probably when I was about 28, I set out that by the time I was 40, I wanted to be a CMO. And I was an individual contributor at the time. I was managing a lot of agent. I was at a startup. So I was managing a lot of agencies, but not a lot of people. But that by the time I was 40, I knew I wanted to be a CMO. And so a lot of it was committing to try and find the right opportunities where I could be a leader, making sure that everybody who uh, was the, those champions for me and who were supporting me and who were my mentors knew the biggest step change, I guess, in in that leadership path was when one of my leaders 
suggested that I get an executive coach who really helped me to understand. I think the leap from individual contributor to frontline manager is an easier one than from managing, you know, from managing ICs to managing managers. Managing managers is a really hard leap. And having an executive coach to help me manage through that, that and recognize that managing managers didn't mean that you were responsible for the org that you that was reporting into you, but actually responsible for the business and driving across teams was one of the biggest uh, hurdles that I had to go through. And clearly that's a hurdle that you learned to jump over. How are you able to align so well with other stakeholders? Because clearly if anyone looks at Meraki, they continue to crush life. If they're just doing great as a brand and they haven't slowed down. And that's a testament to a lot of things, but leadership and the trust and connection that's there, it's real. And I know that because my friend works there and I'm like, wow, there's something magic. So how are you able to navigate that? I would put a lot of that into having an amazing executive coach who helped me manage through some of my personal challenges with that. When I first came into leadership, one of the things that I struggled with was I saw the world in this really black and white way. Like I had a great idea and you were either with me or against me. And if you were against me, you were my enemy and I had to fight you. <laughs> and, and that is not actually how the world works. And I wish that more people went through exec training and maybe saw that, that there is a lot of gray space and, and uh, winning and being successful at managing and leading is not about being right or wrong. It's about actually trying to find the right balance between how far you want to go and the other person or people's needs in the business and trying to find a, a middle ground where you can all come together and say, yeah, that might be not all the way 100% to what I believed was the right thing, but it gets me 80% of the way there and that's progress. And then, you know, like that other 20% will come the next time we have to address this. And so um, so being able to be comfortable with taking a step rather than completing the journey is, is a really important thing. I think the second thing that I will call out is most of the organizations that I walk into, the relationship between marketing product and sales is broken. And uh, marketing is seen as order takers and that product knows the product and that marketing is just supposed to regurgitate what product tells them into the market and expects the, the market to be excited about that. And that sales kind of does the same thing. Like, hey, sales knows what the product or what, what the customer needs. And so you just do what I tell you and regurgitate what I tell you into the market. And that's going to do it. And actually, you serve a strategic purpose as a marketer in trying to navigate between the needs of the product, the needs of sales, and really the true needs of the customer. And so it's your responsibility to be the voice of the customer, bring that back into the product organization, help to navigate that with the sales team, and that you're all working on different, you see different views of that, uh, different views of the customer from each of those three different positions. And marketing is the one that can help to bring all of those together, in my opinion. What's your relationship with with failure like as, a, as an executive leader? And then what's the team, the marketing team's relationship with failure there under your helm? I am comfortable with failure. I think failure is the thing that from which you learn. Oftentimes, if you're successful, you don't learn anything because it, it, reinforces biases you may have when you win and losing allows you to rethink the biases that you have about whatever it is that you're working on. It is hard 
to get people into that growth mindset. And so I'm constantly trying to encourage a mindset of willingness to try, of willingness to fail. But I also admit that I hold a high bar. And so sometimes that's hard for my team to balance between holding a high bar and failing. But I think once they start to see that I, it's not the failure that I, <laughs> that I am disappointed by, it's the lack of thought or the lack of planning or the lack of strategy I'm most demanding about, they begin to get more comfortable and they're willing to try more stuff. How do you create the culture as a marketing leader? My thing that I really focus on is collaboration. Again, I, I think it's very easy to fall into a trap of not collaborating with those teams that I talked about, like if it's customer success or sales or mark or a product, sorry. But even within the marketing team, collaboration, especially in larger organizations, is really hard. It's easier to just do the thing that you own and don't think about the rest, what the impact is on the rest of the organization. But I don't believe that that's the right thing. Just because it's easy doesn't mean it's the right thing. And collaboration between the product marketing organization, between each of the channels, whether it be digital or social or web or content, making sure that all of those things are aligned is probably one of the most important things that you can do. I think the second thing is I believe in encouraging excellence from people who maybe don't believe that they are excellent themselves. And what I mean by that is I, I so oftentimes see, particularly women, but men and women who are not confident, who have all of the, the skills and the thought process and the raw stuff that's there to make them great leaders, to make them great marketers there. And the thing that they're lacking more than anything is self-confidence. And so I really try to build a culture where, where we're encouraging of people who demonstrate the, the raw talent and just need a little boost in that confidence. Well, and it looks like there's a lot of people that stay there as well, right? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a testament to the culture there. I mean, I just wa I've watched my, one of my good buddies like be, I've grow, he's grown his career there. He's been there over five years. And in tech, as you know, like you've been, if you've been somewhere longer than a year, like, whoa, that's a, that's a long time, you know? So so it really is true what you're saying. I mean, I clearly I, I see that people they're tapping into something there. They're tapping into this. They're they're stepping into growth and development, and they're and they're they're experiencing a lot of support. It seems like from from leadership like you. So that's incredible. I've loved my time at Meraki for sure because of that. It's it is an extremely supportive environment. Indeed. What do you consider one one of the biggest challenges for a CMO or marketing leader these days? It is definitely the demands on time uh, and, and that you have to be in so many places. Going back to the earlier part of our conversation about if you really want to be great at marketing, you have to think about being everywhere that your customer is and not just delivering an adequate experience there. It has to be really good. It has to stand out from uh, your competitors and from the average that they're receiving. And so... It's a lot of different things that you have to be thinking about all, at all times and how, again, to go back to that optimization component. I think the second thing that I think has been a really new challenge uh, over the last year has been that the great resignation is real and helping employees who are earlier, particularly where I see it as earlier in career employees, is that patients might 
payoff <laughs> uh, and, and sticking with the company, even though things aren't happening as quickly as you might want them to, might long term be best for you. I, that being said, I was that person at one point, <laughs> you know, and so I understand that sometimes it's just it's, you know, you you do what you can to get the opportunities that you can um, and to make sure that you are having that that work life balance. So I think like trying to balance those two things is is really challenging. Tell us about a success that you are particularly proud of in your career to date. Could be Meraki, could be elsewhere. And why was it a success? One of the successes that I am most proud of at Meraki is we took a team that was that wasn't functioning. And I didn't think that it was going to be two years. I thought it was going to be lo- longer than that. But we really have built a team that is is much uh, more functioning at, as a kind of top level operating mode now. And so I am excited about that. But I think the six years that I spent at LiveRamp, which was the the previous role that I had, is also something that I'm really proud about. When I joined LiveRamp, it was a 40-person startup. And uh, we were acquired by the time I left. We had kind of had our uh, a lot of the the company that we were acquired by was sold to another company so that LiveRamp could be a standalone. So it wasn't like an IPO, but we had an IPO. I got to go to um, the New York Stock Exchange and got to do all of the design work for that and, and have that be one of the things. And and by the time I left the organization, you know, I had been one of the first marketing people of like, I think there were three marketing people total when I started to running a team of more than 70, 80 people it being a company of 2,500 people when I left and and growing from 20 million in ARR to 400 million in ARR. So it was a crazy growth path over those six years. And I made probably some of the best friends that I still have today, you know, um, even three years after leaving the the organization. So there was just a lot of really positives and that all of the things that I learned really set me up for the success that I'm having today within Cisco and Meraki. It also seems like you have this competitive thing about you too. Is that a, a fair assessment or no? <laughs> I mean, I don't think I would be as well if I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. How does the CMO or the marketing leader balance the opinions of the executive team, the CEO, the board, et cetera, with the ability to test and use data? Nobody understands marketing. There is a lot of education of for all leadership about what is the most important thing to look at. Again, you know, the number of leads is always going to be the thing that's easiest to report on. But I, you know, I use the example that, you know, I, I could just go and get names from a phone book and type them in and that would get you the number of leads that you want. Is that really what you want? And, and, you know, like I can call up my mom and put all of her best friends from her knitting club, you know, in, into the database. But I don't think that's really what you want. What you actually want are the right leads at the right time who are wanting to buy your product. And if you start there and then start to educate on what all that means about how you find the right audiences, how you go, how you start to, you know, navigate that journey. And then again, like navigate that customer journey for each type of buyer and persona that is interested in you. It takes a while for people to to get on board with that. And, and I think that over time, people start to understand, but it's a lot of give and take, you know, so what, what sometimes you have to give something just to give it 
to build the trust so that then from that trust, you can sort of change the perceptions. If you could restart your career from the beginning, what would you change? I think I would have moved to the Bay Area a lot sooner than I did. I spent the first 10 years of my career in Santa Barbara. And there wasn't a lot of options down there. You know, it's a small, it's a small town. I went to UCSB, go Gauchos. And so like, I just wanted to stay in Santa Barbara as long as I possibly could. I met my husband down there. We both wanted to to stay down there. The journey, the path that I took once I moved up here, things moved so much faster. I learned so much more about what cutting edge marketing was. And, you know, it was a lot of that, that demand gen that was taking off when, when I moved up here, it was just, I wish I would have moved sooner and, and been more exposed to some of the stuff that was happening in the Bay Area. And maybe that would have been any big city. I could have done that, you know, rather than work in a, in a small town and move to a big city. I, I, I think maybe take out Bay Area and put in New York or LA or, or Denver or whatever. You did talk about the, the great resignation and, you know, companies are now benefiting from this historic talent transition and now they have to retain it. How are you tackling this in 2022 and beyond? I believe that it is the same as it's always been. What people stay for are three. I, you know, I had a, a boss uh, who, who told me this. People stay for three things. They stay because they love the people that they work with. They have growth opportunities and they get paid enough. And if three of those things are there, all three of those things are there, you should stay there for as long as humanly possible. <laughs> if two of those things are there, then you should be like, hey, like I'll stay here as long as I'm benefiting. But, you know, I, I might have a door out. And if only you're only getting one of those things, if you like the people you're you're getting paid well or you are actually learning and growing you should probably look for another place that fits all three of those things. And so, and I still believe that. I, I, I believe that to the core. And I, that is, I think, what's so important about how you build a culture. The hardest thing is that you don't have culture when you're all on camera all the time. Like some of those core basic things about liking the people you work with is a lot harder when you're just interacting on computers and you don't have that in-person ability to feel a little bit safer and say things, you know, that are kind of off the cuff and, and you can, you can say them in an environment that, you know, might not be recorded or is just feels more personal. And so you have to work a lot harder on the other two things. You have to make sure that the, the growth opportunities are there, that you are communicating them frequently and you're helping to people understand how invested you are in their growth. And then you have to, you know, obviously there's a ton of competition from a from a pay perspective right now, too. And so uh, you have to be competitive there. Sometimes that's something you as a team leader can't control, though, that has to do with the business. And then you have to lean more heavily into how do I build a culture virtually for us? At least we're, we're still pretty virtual. And then you, you can start to build back once everybody starts to go back in the office. But it doesn't seem like people want to go. Our offices have been open for a month and I go in there every week and there's just, there's not, you know, that tipping point of, oh, I have to be in the office because there's so many people here and I want to be here. It's just, it's not there yet. Is the leadership team all back in the office? Most of them? Each of the teams is transitioning back uh, over the course of uh, through April. By mid-April, everybody will supposed to be, can come back. Cisco is encouraging fully remote hybrid. You don't have to have any days in the office. 
if you don't want to. Um, I My team has actually transitioned to from being almost completely in the Bay Area to being over 50% in remote locations all across uh, the country and the world. So again, it just means you have to work harder to really feel like you're building a culture and that you are providing the opportunities for growth that individuals need. When it comes to hiring and your your team, what values are most important to you as a leader? I love people who are really committed to doing their best work. And that doesn't mean that everybody's best work looks the same, but that that people are committed to growing and learning and changing. It's that growth mindset that I talked about I, that I really value and think is is so important. I want people who challenge themselves and challenge each other to think differently, to think better, to think beyond the possibilities of what they think is possible. Because uh, having people achieve what they think is not possible, the satisfaction that that you see from those individuals is just so amazing that I love people who get satisfaction from that. Let's get into the lightning round real quick. Uh, Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Salesforce brings marketing and engagement together. If you want to learn more, head over to salesforce.com forward slash marketing. We've got Rebecca Stone in the house. Rebecca, first question, lightning round, texting or talking? Texting. What's one thing that you love and appreciate about yourself? I've grown comfortable in my skin. Mm, I love that answer. What's your favorite day of the week? Saturday. Favorite city in the U.S. besides the one you live in? New York. Would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals? Speak every language in the world. Favorite holiday? Ooh, Christmas. Same, same. Scale of one to 10, how good of a driver are you? (laughs) Uh, Five. (laughs) Five, okay, okay. (laughs) Please fill in the blank. Something wise my elders taught me was. So my dad has this saying of um, everything is hard until it's easy. Would you rather choose invisibility or super strength? Invisibility. Is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? No. (laughs) If you weren't in marketing leadership, balling out of control like you are now, what would you be doing? I would love to take, again, I I talked earlier about executive coaching. I would love to be an executive coach, take what I've learned and help others. What's your least favorite marketing buzzword? Probably ABM, account-based marketing. Boy, that one comes up a lot these days. So that's a good one. Um, what What would you go back and whisper in the ear of your younger self about being a marketing leader? It's not as easy as you think it's going to be. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, I love it. Okay, that's awesome. This has been exceptional, Rebecca. Thank you so much for being here. You definitely did not disappoint and we loved having you on the show. Thank you. Awesome, thank you. I'm glad to be here. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. 
At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.